And uh, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and uh, we're talking about um, God's creation in human life, and we are observing this tradition today. Just by show of hands, who has uh, taken part in this before? Who's been in a church who, where they've done Sanctity of Life Sunday? Anyone at all? Okay, couple people. All right, good. Well, it is our first time as the branch. It's the first time I've done it. Uh, so it's going to be a little different than uh, what we normally do when we're walking through Hebrews or other books of the Bible. Uh, but God is with us, and it is just my joy to be here with you. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Proverbs 24 is where we're going to begin. Uh, we won't be there long. We're going to be jumping through a number of texts today, but we're going to start there. So it be good to go ahead and turn there this morning if you have a Bible. Just to give some background info about Sanctity of Life Sunday and how it started and what it is today, uh, I think it's important for us to do that. So I want to share with you some information. Uh, National Sanctity of Human Life Day is an observance declared by several U.S. presidents who opposed abortion, typically proclaimed on or near the anniversary of the Supreme Court's decision in Roe versus Wade. And it began when President Ronald Reagan issued a presidential proclamation on January 13th, 1984, designating Sunday, January 22nd, 1984 as National Sanctity of Human Life Day, noting that it was the 11th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So since then, churches have gathered on the Sunday near that day to observe God's word on this issue and to pray for justice for our preborn neighbors. And that's why we're here and we gather here as well as many churches all over the country gather here to observe this tradition today. Just to give you some information on Roe v. Wade, what that was, you may know some about it. It was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Constitution of the U.S. protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. That decision involved the case of a woman named Norma McCorvey, who was known in the lawsuit under a pseudonym Jane Roe, who in 1969 became pregnant with her third child. And so she wanted an abortion. She lived in the state of Texas where abortion was illegal at the time except when necessary to save the mother's life. She was referred to lawyers Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey who filed a lawsuit on her behalf in U.S. federal court against her local district attorney, Henry Wade, alleging that Texas abortion laws were unconstitutional. A three-judge panel of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas heard the case and ruled in her favor. Texas then appealed this ruling directly to the U.S. Supreme Court, which agreed to hear the case. I know it's a lot. Bear with me. This is important for where we're going this morning and why we're here. Uh, this leads us to January 1973. The Supreme Court issued a 7-2 decision ruling the due process clause of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution provides a right to privacy that protects a pregnant woman's right to choose whether or not to have an abortion. But it also ruled that this right is not absolute and must be balanced against the government's interests in protecting women's health and protecting prenatal life. The court resolved this balancing test by typing state regulation of abortion to the three trimesters of pregnancy. During the first trimester, governments could not prohibit abortion at all. During the second trimester, governments could require reasonable health regulations. And during the third trimester, abortion could be prohibited entirely so long as the laws contained exceptions for cases when they were necessary to save the life or health of the mother. The court classified the right to choose to have an abortion as fundamental 
which required courts to evaluate challenged abortion laws under the strict scrutiny standard, the highest level of judicial, re judicial review in the United States. Prior to Roe v. Wade, 30 states prohibited abortion without exception. 16 states banned abortion except in certain special circumstances, for example, rape, incest, or the life of the mother being threatened in any way, or three states allowed, and three states allowed residents to obtain abortions. New York allowed abortions generally. Now, I know that's a lot of information I just read to you. All of that is from the internet. That is not how I or many of you would describe Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was a very wicked, ungodly, unrighteous, and rebellious Supreme Court decision, not a law. There's a difference between those two things. It was not biblical. It makes a mockery of God's word, and it is to be called what it is. And it is to be ignored by the states, and that is if there is to be any justice in our land for our preborn. And so why we're specifically here as the branch to observe this tradition. We're coming together today with churches all over the country to observe God's word as it relates to abortion, to call for justice for our preborn neighbors, to advocate for the rights of the unborn and to plead their cause, to plead with our nation to repent of this, to proclaim Christ and his gospel of the kingdom, the good news that his kingdom is advancing in the world and that he is bringing the nations to himself and to pray that God would bring justice to our land and show us undeserved mercy and we need it. And so let's turn our attention now to God's word in Proverbs 24. We're gonna read verses 11 and 12. This is the word of God, it says this this morning. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for bringing us here as your people. We pray for justice, God. We pray for mercy. We pray for your help this morning as we speak about a very heavy issue, um, one that's very divisive in our country. We pray that you help us, God. Help us to look to what your word says. Help us to set aside feelings and emotions, God, as heavy as they might be. Help us to honor your word in the way that we speak about this and the way that we take action. God, help us to do more than just feel. Lord, help us to take action as your people as you command us to do. Help me this morning, be with me, speak through this very unworthy servant. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This text was written by one of the wisest men to ever live, and it is a book of wisdom to future generations of Israel. Now the circumstances of the phrases here in this text, they're not exactly clear, but the wisdom that's being imparted to the audience is, to that immediate audience, to future generations, and now to us in the 21st century in America as, as God's people. This is wisdom for us. 
The message is this, it's to seek justice. Not just for your own household, not just in your immediate vicinity, but as far out as you can reach. God is a God of justice. He desires his people to be people who seek justice. To rescue those who are being carried away to death and cannot defend themselves. To hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. To protect human life that God sees and knows the hearts of his people. He knows my heart this morning. He knows your heart this morning. And it is his expectation and command that we be a people who seek justice according to his standards and not the world's standards. And there is a big difference between those two things. And that the actions of his people reveal the true state of their heart, whether or not they truly belong to him or if they do not. I wanna establish a foundation this morning. I wanna walk through a number of texts as we examine the issue of abortion, examine the Bible as it relates to the issue of abortion. And I wanna, before I start doing that, I wanna ask a very important question for us this morning. It's important that we think about this. I recognize there are many views out there related to the issue of abortion. I recognize even that there are different views in this room as it relates to the issue of abortion. I know that, I understand that. Here's my plea to you today as Christians, it is this. Will you allow the word of God to speak to you directly on this issue? If I was to say it another way, is the word of God sufficient and authoritative to deal with all things, including abortion? Did God author it in such a way that it would be sufficient even now for us a long time after it was written, that it alone would be sufficient and authoritative to deal with very heavy cultural issues like that of abortion. I want you to think about that question. I want you to all answer that for yourself. Decide that answer. It's an important answer, it's an important question. Or will you go with maybe what feels right to you, what seems most pragmatic? Because I tell you, my friends, if you come to this issue, and you bring just your feelings, and you do what just seems pragmatic to you as a human, you will get it wrong. You will get it wrong every time. This isn't really a matter of how I feel versus how you feel. That's not my aim today. The question for you and I this morning is what has God said? What saith the Lord? And we are to be concerned with that question in all things that we say and do as Christians. So let's begin. Um, we're gonna start in Genesis one. It's gonna be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Of course you can if you'd like, but it's gonna be Genesis one verse 27. It says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's many principles we can pull from this text about God's work in creation, creating human life in his own image. Number one, this is not some random biological process that occurs. Humans are not merely the product of other humans. God is the one who creates human life, all human life. God created all of us. He formed us, he put us together. He is the author of life, he creates life, and he takes life away as he sees fit. And God assigns gender to them and creates 
differences between them. Secondly, human life is valuable because of the image of God, the Imago Dei. God separates you and I from animals and trees, rocks, the oceans, all other things in creation. God separates you and I from those things by making us in his image. Rocks are not made in the image of God. Oceans are not made in the image of God. Birds, squirrels, whatever uh, might come to mind there. They are not made in the image of God, but you and I, we are. And this is what gives human life value, made in the image of God. And this life that God creates is always a gift and it is precious in his sight. And it always has purpose in every circumstance, whether sick, whether healthy, whether poor, whether rich, God always has purpose in his creation and he has purpose in the creation of human life that he makes in his own image. And babies in the womb carry that image no less than you and I do, right? A baby just formed in the womb carries the image of God no less than a 30-year-old man who makes a lot of money and drives a nice car. They both equally carry the image of God and they both have value because of that. I brought a couple pictures with me today. I wanna to show to you, they'll be up on the screen. You can go ahead with the first one. As many of you know, my wife, Sydney, is 24 weeks pregnant. She's sitting right there. Um, she's 24 weeks pregnant with our daughter, Nora Ann. And this is the first ultrasound that we saw when Sydney was seven weeks and three days pregnant. Now this one's a little hard to see. Uh, you can go to the next one, it's a little better to see. Um, of course, it's just a very small little figure there, but you can see a head and a face, eye sockets, a nose, she had a beating heart that we heard, a very strong beating heart. She was waving her arms around when we got to see her. You can't really see that on the screen there, but it was a joy for us to see the, that and it just took us back because it's not even been long since we found out that this life was coming into the world. And already you see the image of God there in her. You can go ahead to the next picture. Um, Obviously you can see this one's a little more developed. This is at 13 weeks pregnant, I believe. And this is when we found out that we were having a girl and you can see there, that's a baby. Very clearly is a baby. She's got a head, a heart. She's got legs, arms, a face. She was rolling around, kicking around. She was being a baby. She was being the human that God created her to be even though she was so small. Go to the next one. This is the next one that we saw. Even more, you can see there the development. This is at 19 weeks pregnant. At this stage, Sydney could have aborted this child. I want you to think about that for a moment. In Georgia, pregnancy, or abortion is legal up to 20 weeks. This is at 19 weeks. Sydney could have aborted this child. Is anyone confused about what that is? That's a baby with a brain, with a four-chambered heart, with a spinal cord, with bones, with arms and legs. That's her, that's the image of God. And this is what we're talking about today, the image of God in the womb. I think I've got one more I wanna show you. Um, and this is very recently this week even, moving along. And we can't wait to meet her. 
And this is what we're talking about. Her and I were laughing the other day. Um, just this week, I was, I've been trying to sing to my baby a lot because she can hear us and I want, I want her to, we'll see if she likes it or not. Um, I want her to because my parents sang to me and I loved it as a kid. So I've been trying to sing to her a lot. And just the other day on Friday morning, I was singing to her and I was leaning down close to Sydney's belly and had my face pressed up against it. And um, she was awake and she was moving and she was kind of still listening to me. And I got about halfway, I was singing a hymn to her. I was singing, come thou fount. And I got about halfway through that first verse and she just kicked me in the face, <laughs> just straight in the face. And all I could hear was, dad, stop embarrassing me. I can't wait for those teenage years. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and so we move forward. We fast forward from Gen Genesis 1 into Exodus 20, where God gives his law to his people. He meets them there at Mount Sinai. It's actually a very frightening scene. There's thunder, lightning. Uh, God is giving his law. He's meeting with Moses up on the mountain. The people are down the mountain and he, Moses is recording his law and he's gonna take it back to the people. And one of his commandments is this, you shall not murder. These commandments were not suggestions. They were not advice for the people. These were commandments to be carefully observed and obeyed by them. And violating these commandments is sin before God. And he takes that seriously. These commandments were not just for that day, but for all of time. God gave his law. God's law was recorded in such a way that you and I would have it today. We'd be talking about it and even future generations will be. For the word of God stands forever. We know that. It is an objective standard given by God and it is an absolute reflection of his character. God commands his people not to commit adultery. Why? He commands that because he is ever faithful, right? And he desires that you and I be faithful people as he is. God commands us not to bear false witness against our neighbor because he is a God of truth, right? He deals in truths, he hates lies, and he desires that his people be a people of truth who deal with truth. The commandment is you shall not murder. It is not you shall not kill. Those are different. Murder and killing are different. Are you tracking with me on that? Murder is the unjust premeditated taking of innocent human life. The legal language that you and I use today is malice aforethought is the legal language. You may have heard that before. Um, it means that it can be demonstrated they intended to do it beforehand, right? So an example of this, when someone plans to murder someone, they do research, they buy weapons, whatever, and then they do it, and all of that evidence is demonstrated in the court of law, that is malice aforethought, right? Or when someone hires a hitman, and then that murder occurs, and that can be demonstrated in the courts, that is malice aforethought. And if we're consistent in implying this standard, when a woman makes an appointment at a local abortion facility, she makes the appointment, she attends the appointment, she walks in, she puts $508 on the table, which is the average cost of a first trimester abortion in the United States. That is malice aforethought. Killing, however, is not always murder. 
And I guarantee that you all believe this, right? If a man walked in that door and was trying to hurt us, maybe kill us, and that man was struck dead and stopped from what he was about to do, that is not murder that occurred. That's a righteous, just act that protects human life. When God rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, fire from heaven, all the people there were destroyed. That is a righteous act of judgment. God did not murder those people. God doesn't break his own law, right? We know that. It's important to distinguish between those things because you hear those two words a lot. They don't always mean what we mean when we say those things as Christians, when the Bible uses those words. And we see even in verse 18 in chapter 20 of Exodus that at Mount Sinai, after God gives the 10 commandments to these people, it says, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people there, they feared God, right? And it may have been short-lived, but the people in that moment, they beheld God up on the mountain with Moses. They feared, they were ready to listen, they were ready to obey. I ask you today, church, is there any fear of God before our nation today, before our world, as it relates to this issue and other issues like it. As our nation continues to rebel against him, 62 plus million abortions since Roe v. Wade, 3,000 a day, a million a year, injustice in our streets with wicked rulers who either do nothing about it and passively allow it to continue while paying only pro-life lip service to it to advance their own political causes but really aren't that that concerned at protecting human life or that concerned with fearing God and obeying him. Or rulers who advocate for it even, celebrate it, encourage it, want to further expand it in our nation. God have mercy on us. This is where we are. We need revival. We need justice in our land. We need undeserved mercy from our God. And so therefore this morning we state together that abortion is murder and therefore is a violation of God's law, a sin before him. It says elsewhere in God's word, Psalm 139, many of you might know this text, it says, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We read in Jeremiah 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God speaking. Psalm 22, on you was I cast from my birth, And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and 17 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, and seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. 
Yes, God hates. God is not only a God of love, and while his love and mercy do far outweigh his wrath and his hatred, they do not negate it. And we need to hear that this morning. We read further in Israel's history about child sacrifice in the ancient days of Israel that occurred in their time that they engaged in. Ezekiel chapter 16, I'm going to read just two verses here, I think it's going to be on the screen. It says this, and you took your sons and your daughters whom you had born to me, and these you sacrificed to them, being false gods, to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? Those are strong words from our God. I encourage you to go read Ezekiel 16 and see God's reaction to the horrors of child sacrifice. Anybody heard of Moloch in the Old Testament, the false god Moloch? He was a false god to whom they would sacrifice their children, and this provoked God greatly. So much so that of child sacrifice, God says this in the book of Jeremiah. He says, I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination. Think about that. The God who knows everything, when he sees child sacrifice, is so disturbed by it, so distraught, he says he didn't command it and it did not even enter into his mind. Now you might be thinking, it's a bit of a stretch to relate modern day abortion to Old Testament child sacrifice. And I hear you, but think about it for a moment. Is it? Is it really so different? Is it really so different when someone like Stevie Nicks in an interview with The Guardian says, quote, if I had not had that abortion, I'm pretty sure there would have been no Fleetwood Mac, end quote, as she's reflecting on the recent death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, whom she said was her hero. That's a child sacrificed on the altar of success, fame, and wealth. Or when Michelle Williams takes the stage at the Golden Globes Award ceremony and she says of her, her achievements would not have been possible, quote, without employing a woman's right to choose, end quote. And she receives a warm applause from Hollywood's best. Tears in people's eyes, they're moved by it. Think about what is the narrative that you hear today. Far and away, it is one that children are a burden, they're not a blessing, that you have the power to control when you want to be a mother or father, not God, that your success and lifestyle is vastly more important than childbearing. So it's acceptable to sacrifice an unexpected child for the sake of your future prosperity, rather than sacrificing your future prosperity for the sake of an unexpected child, to save that child's life, to bring it up in the way God commands. And my friends, I tell you the truth this morning. This is an abomination to our God. We read in Jeremiah 17 verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? God's word teaches us that people sin because they're depraved, ultimately. They're born into a state 
of rebellion against God. They're a natural rebellion against God. And if God does not intervene and show grace, they will remain there their whole life, fist up in rebellion to God. People are not neutral people. They are either children of God or children of wrath, biblically. And all of us would be children of wrath were it not for the grace of Almighty God, right? Turn with me real quick to Romans 1. I want us to read this together. It's Romans 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 18 down through verse 25. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The message here is that people are in a natural state of rebellion against God. They know God. All people are born with a knowledge of God deep down, but they suppress that knowledge about God because they love sin. Their hearts are inclined towards sin. But yet when we come to the issue of abortion, it can be really hard to apply that principle, right? Because it's a sensitive issue, a very sensitive issue. We may fear offending others in the way that we speak about it. But listen, in order for us to honor God and our proclamation of the gospel, the true gospel, we must be able to identify sin as God's word does so that we can speak about it the way God's word speaks about it, so that we can give the solution, so that we can give the gospel. Therefore, women get abortions not because they are misunderstood victims, but fundamentally rather they get them because their hearts are sinful, because they're in rebellion against God. And therefore, the only solution for abortion is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Christ. It's that message alone that can save them, that can set them free from their sins. Which leads me to my next question. Can Christ atone for this sin? To all those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, he absolutely can. And he has already done so. Psalm 103 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Hear this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So if you're here today, listen to me. If you're here today and if you have committed the sin of abortion, there is therefore now no condemnation for you if indeed you have repented and you've believed upon Jesus. Be free. And if you're here today and you have committed this sin and you have not repented and turned to Christ, come to Christ and be set free from your sin. It's my hope for you this morning. So today we speak up for our preborn neighbors. We speak up loudly for them. Today and every day, whom God commands us to love and advocate for. We, along with churches all over the U.S., we mourn their deaths, we call for justice for them, and we plead with God to bring justice and peace to our land as the blood of the innocent cry out to Almighty God for justice. And there will be justice. And we take action as Christians who are called unto good works, doing all that we can where God has placed us now to fight for the lives of our preborn neighbors. So what are we to do? What can we do today? All of us seated here today, we can all take part in one way or another. I want you to hear me. One of the most powerful moments for me in this fight was when I was watching a documentary about a year and a half ago. It's called Babies Are Murdered Here. It's on YouTube. Uh, you can go watch it if you want. I encourage you to. It's very heavy. I was watching that documentary and the whole time I'm just my heart is heavy and I'm feeling so much about this issue that I've never felt before. I had never really thought about it. Um, we are so jaded to the reality of abortion, how widespread it is. Um, we truly don't know. A million abortions a year, that is a number that we can't even think about. We have to think about it as one baby at a time, every time. That's one heartbeat that stops. That's one life God created that stops. Anyway, I'm watching this documentary and the whole time I'm just feeling so heavy and it's this moment for me and I get to the end of the documentary and this really caught, caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting this, but it's R.C. Sproul's son and he'd been speaking throughout the documentary a lot, but he says, he says this, he says, it takes absolutely nothing, hardly nothing at all to feel about this issue and do nothing. That doesn't take much at all. It takes a lot to feel and to take action. And that really struck me and that's when I started doing what I can, researching how I could take part in ministry. 
Many of you know this, many of you might not. You know, my wife and I are engaged in a ministry where we uh, reach out to women at a local abortion facility in the metro Atlanta area. We plead with them, we preach the gospel to them, and we've seen many women choose life and come to know Christ, be forgiven, and receive help from churches and pregnancy resource centers. So some things that you and I can be doing. Number one, let me speak to just the women in the room. The reality is that you will have a stronger voice in this fight than I or any other man in this room ever will. It's just the reality. And so my encouragement is that you use that voice that you have. Speak up. Proverbs 31, a verse for you, it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor, and needy. The most vulnerable among us are the unborn. They have no voice to speak up for themselves. They have no one to defend them if it not, were not for us. So let us speak up for them. And women, you have a powerful voice. You can use it in many different ways. To the men in the room, my encouragement is to be men. I know that sounds really simple, but be the man God has called you to be. Do not abdicate your responsibility as the man that God has created you to be. Protect women and children. Provide for women and children. That is what God requires of us as men. That's what godly men do. They don't abdicate. Have courage in a culture that doesn't want you to have courage. And use your voice as well. 1 Corinthians 16, for you, it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Next, when it comes to local ministry, thankfully, we don't have any clinics in this county or the immediate surrounding area that offer abortions. Um, it's going to be in a lot of the big cities in Georgia. I think as of 2017, there were 27 facilities. A lot of those are Planned Parenthood facilities. A lot of them are other abortion facilities. The one we go to is a, a large one in the, it's in uh, Druid Hills, DeKalb County area, Metro Atlanta. Um, that's not for everybody to take part in. That's a very hard area of ministry. And uh, you're going to be engaging with a lot of very tough things. It requires you to be bold and to preach the gospel and to be willing to help when someone really does need help. Be willing to give money or time and effort to someone. Many of you maybe could engage in that. If, if God has called you to do that, you can come talk to me after. I'd love to help you get involved with that. My next point is this, and I'll be real quick on this. Don't encourage abortion. Don't vote for it. And if the scriptures haven't convinced you of that today, I don't know what will. And I'm not telling you who to vote for directly. I don't wanna get into that today. I'm happy to talk about that more at length, but I'm telling you that you shouldn't vote for this. It has to be a disqualifying issue for us as Christians. Don't vote before you vote for this. 
I would highly encourage that before, before going and vo voting for this. Number five is fundraising. Now, we were supposed to try and start the uh, baby bottle campaign we do every year with the local North Georgia Pregnancy Resource Center. It used to be called Dewanaga Care Center. They've changed their name. They've added another facility in Dawsonville. They're closed right now due to COVID, but they're going to be opening soon, and we plan to start that soon. And we did really well last year with it, but I'd love for us to just knock it out of the park this year. They could really use our help. Um, what we do is we give, for you don't, if you don't know, uh, they give us a bunch of baby bottles and you know, we take them out, everybody takes one for a month, just fill it up with change or loose cash and we all bring it back about a month later and we donate all that money to them. And it actually is significant. You know, some change for you doing it may not seem like a lot, but all of us doing that together, hundreds, thousands of dollars even. And that would be great for us to just knock it out of the park this year and really help them out. They see about 90 women through pregnancy every year. They help them out, they offer classes, they teach them how to be mothers. They help pair them with communities and churches that can support them. Number six is for us to reclaim the institution of the family. And this is something I think our church does well and I just wanna encourage us, let us continue to do this well. Let us encourage a community of family not only in our spiritual community with family groups and everything else, but husbands and wives coming together and bearing children and raising them to love God. This is a big thing that we can do. We can reclaim the institution of the family the way God's designed it, and we can model that. We can be salt and light in the way that we do that. Number seven is adoption and foster care. Um, we can help you get paired with people who can help you get involved in that process. If you are wanting to do that, there are children in foster care right now in our county that need families to take them. It is something my wife and I intend on doing completely. Um, there are babies that need to be adopted. And so if you are wanting to engage in that process, if you're a young family or a family who has the ability to do that, uh, we'd love to talk with you after. We've had people who come and teach uh, Branch School of Theology. We can get you connected with people who are engaged in that area. And number eight, let us preach the gospel in the face of a culture who desperately needs it. Let us not grow weary of doing good, but rather rest in the promise of God's kingdom and labor endlessly under the glory of God. And let us be salt and light as a church. And let us pray. Let us pray for the unborn. Let us pray for our country. Pray for our own hearts. Pray for us as a church and our community. And so we're going to do that now. We're actually going to have a time of silent prayer and reflection this morning just for a few minutes. I want you to pray for our country, all the things that I just mentioned. Pray for justice. Pray for peace. Pray for the unborn. Pray that their lives would be spared by any means necessary. Pray for your own heart. Search your own heart. So we're going to do that for a couple minutes, then Riley's going to come up and lead a song as we continue in our silent prayer and reflection. And then after that first song, we're going to stand and worship together. So let us pray, and after I'm finished, you all encourage you to pray where you are. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come and talk about this issue. We thank you for your truth, that it stands forever. 
We pray for these little ones, God. We pray that you would spare them. Help us, God, to not be weak and not dishonor you, God, but to be the people you've called us to be, to protect the widow and the orphan, to plead their cause, to make sacrifices so that we can do that. We pray for justice for our land. We pray for peace in our nation. We pray for mercy, God, undeserved mercy. We so desperately need. Help us to be bold. Help us to have courage. Thank you and praise you for all that you're doing, God. In Christ's name, amen.